Good morning. I'm Mary, and you're listening to Lifestyle Tucson, a program where I speak with nonprofit groups and organizations, finding out how they serve our community and getting updates on current projects. For the first portion of today's show, I am sharing a recent conversation I had with the Institute for Better Education. I'm speaking with Kimberly Kirshner, Executive Director for the Institute for Better Education. Well, Kimberly, we've spoken before, but I still would like to give a little refresher for anyone who's unfamiliar with the Institute for Better Education. Tell me a bit about who you are and what you do and kind of what got it started. Of course. Well, believe it or not, over 25 years ago, our Arizona legislature said, we believe Arizona might need some school choice options. And they brought into being the the ability for Arizona taxpayers to say, I would like to put my state tax money towards children in private school education to make sure it's open for everybody. And IBE started at that time. And so now we take tax credit donations from Arizona taxpayers and we turn those into scholarship for low-income children to attend the school that is truly the best for them. So tell me a bit about reasons you have seen in your these 20 years of working with IBE for people opting for the the private school education. Of course. Now, I've only been with IBE for 10 years, Mm -hmm. and this is my sixth year as director, but it has definitely been around for these 25 years. And what I have seen, it's changed a lot over the last even 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of families choose private school education for... uh, Maybe it's a faith-based situation. They'd like to make sure their faith is part of their child's education. Um, or let's say they are in a school that maybe their uh, public school or their charter school that's close by isn't quite meeting their child's needs, and they found a private school that does, and so they attend there, especially for children with disabilities. We've seen a huge amount of children who, uh, let's say they have autism. Well, it might be a school that's best for them, has a $25,000 annual tuition. I don't want anybody to not be able to Mm -hmm. attend. I have seen that morph somewhat since COVID, and so a lot more families are choosing private school. Just um, sometimes it's for safety, believe it or not, which is which breaks my heart. Uh, we want children to feel safe in their school. Sometimes it's just because they want to choose what their children are learning, mm-hmm. and they have a little bit more ability to choose from different private schools how, how the children learn, what the curriculum looks like, what kind of learning styles do they cater towards, what are the child's interests specifically. So there's a lot of reasons why families are choosing private school these days. To my understanding, there's four different types of scholarships available through IBE. I would like to take some time to kind of go through those and tell me a bit of the differences and uh, who qualifies. So I guess might as well start with the original individual. Absolutely. So the original individual program is the first program that came into being those 25 years ago. And that is one of the programs that individual taxpayers like you and I have that choice to be able to donate towards. And it is a dollar for dollar tax credit. Whereas a tax credit being dollar dollar for dollar means if somebody makes a thousand dollar donation to IBE and they literally pay a thousand dollars less in state taxes, where the difference between that and let's say a deduction would be if somebody makes a $1,000 contribution to IBE, and we are still a 501c3, so somebody from Texas can make a donation to IBE and even recommend a child to receive those funds at a private school. For that particular family, it would only be a donation, which is something that they would be itemizing on their federal form 1040. Most people don't seem to itemize anymore since 2018 when they doubled the standard deduction, so most people take that standard deduction. But if you're still itemizing... A deduction reduces your taxable income. So whereas a $1,000 donation for a tax credit, it's worth $1,000. A 
$1,000 donation for somebody, let's say, in the 24% tax bracket, it's $240. Still something, mm-hmm. but that donation for an individual taxpayer here in Arizona, if you have a state liability, tax credits are wonderful. And the original individual program started it all off, and that helps children in K-12 through education at a private school, and there's no other eligibility requirements. Mm-hmm. And I would like to just touch more on that uh, original individual, because this is where the, the recommended fund comes into play. Can you just explain to me what the recommended fund is and how that works? Of course. And at, there's actually two programs that allow recommended funds. So that's the original program we're talking about. And then in 2012, we mm-hmm. had the PLUS switcher program that came into being. But those had some eligibility requirements. They're mostly for students attending private school for the first time. Kindergartners, transferring from public to private, out-of-state families, military families, things like that. Those two programs are both funded by individual taxpayers, and both of those give the taxpayer a choice themselves. That choice is, do I want to recommend IBE's general fund, which we help the most needy families, Do I want to recommend, let's say, a specific private school or private schools? Or do I want to recommend a specific private school student attending that private school? It is a recommendation only, but they do have that opportunity with those funds, the original individual as well as the plus switcher. A taxpayer can say, I'd like it to go to this specific child. Okay, so I guess I might as well delve then into the plus switcher, mm-hmm. which you have brought up. So uh, what makes this one different from the original? Again, the plus switcher, it did come into being just in 2012. And I believe the Arizona legislature thought process behind it was there are children entering private school for the first time. Let's see if we can give them some extra help. Mm-hmm. Families that were already in private school had already figured it out, maybe. But somebody knew whether it was a kindergarten student, somebody transferring from an Arizona public or charter school, a family that was a military family traveling here on orders. Those are some of the first families that they were able to help. But a couple of years ago, they actually expanded that to allow children coming from homeschool, children coming from out of state or even out of the country, or children that had previously been on what they call the ESA or the Empowerment Scholarship Account to go to IBE, go to tax credits, and be eligible for these plus switcher funds. So not every student's eligible, but we do our best to make sure as many can be because it doubled, practically doubled, the amount that a donor could donate, and now the child was eligible to receive more funds. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you mentioned the empowerment scholarship, and we'll circle back to that in a second. So then you also have the corporate low income and then the corporate disabled displaced and So tell me the difference between these two. Of course. So those are two programs that are funded by Arizona businesses. The businesses here in Arizona that are eligible to make that dollar-for-dollar tax credit donation would be C-corporations, S-corporations, LLCs with an S-election, and even insurance companies that file taxes here on the premiums they collect. So that's a large amount of businesses here in Arizona that can make that same choice. And the beautiful thing with those are they don't have any kind of cap on how much they can donate. There is a statewide cap that opens up July 1st of every year of how much they can donate for the Disabled Displaced Program, which helps children with a disability or helps children that have ever been in the Arizona foster care system. That has a cap of $6 million every year. And quite frankly, uh, July 1st, July 2nd, when this opens up, it's gone usually within about an hour. It, most businesses really want to make sure those vulnerable populations of children are taken care of. Now, the low-income families, it's a much larger bucket, if you will. This year, it was in excess of $143 million. And quite frankly, we just received notification that it's down to less than $700,000. So we believe by the end of December, we will have no more funding available for donors 
but they'll have to wait till July 1st and jump on that and we can start over again, but we get to help those low-income families with those funds. So again, both the income uh, programs that businesses are able to donate to help very vulnerable populations Mm -hmm. of children. So I'd like to go back to that empowerment scholarship. It's something we've been seeing a lot uh, just this year. Uh, Tell me about how that impacts uh, IBE. Absolutely. So the ESA program has been around actually for 11 years. Originally, it was brought into being to help mostly children with disabilities because the way the empowerment scholarship accounts are funded, they receive 90% of whatever state funding a child would receive at a public or charter school. So a child with special needs receives a whole lot more funding at a public school. So a child with autism, let's say, might receive $25,000 in empowerment scholarship account. Well, that's wonderful because those schools tend to be more expensive. It also can be used for therapies and different kinds of curriculum, whatever is going to help that child best. Then I would say for the 11 years it's been around, it expanded to military families, children that were on the Indian Reservation, as well as children that were in uh, failing schools, DRF. That's what it's looked like for 11 years. And about 11,000 children were enrolled in this program. Then the governor, um, Governor Ducey, signed into law the ability for any single child here in Arizona in K-12 through education to be eligible to receive these funds. Well, that opened it up to what they're telling us is about 1.1 additional million children. From what I understand, only about or about about 40,000 children, I believe, are now a part of the Empowerment Scholarship Program. So that's a huge jump. What that looks like is now children who are, don't have special needs or don't have any reason to have more funding, they're receiving approximately $7,000 for children first through 12th grade and about $4,200, $4,300 for kindergarten programs because it's based on a half-day public school kindergarten. What we're finding is that this doesn't necessarily help low-income families. Because if, a, if they would like to attend private school, and these ESA funds can only be used for homeschool children or private school families, cannot be used if you're in a public school because you're already utilizing mm-hmm. those funds, part of your uh, public school funding. So what we're finding is if the school is more than $7,000, so many of our lower-income families can't use ESA mm-hmm. because even if it's an extra $500, that may not be enough to cover their tuition. So... That's why tax credits, a lot of people said, oh, are you guys still relevant? Are you still needed? We are so needed for the low-income families because we are the way that they can fully fund their tuition. And so you cannot utilize ESA and STO, and that's what I am, a school tuition organization, or tax credit funding in the same quarter. And don't even get me started on quarters. Okay. We could tend to spend a half hour on what that <laughs> looks like. But the fact is you cannot utilize them at the same quarter, but you can utilize them in different quarters. So we're trying to help families navigate what is the best option, school choice option for them, utilizing both ESA and STO funds. And one of the ways that we've come, we've determined you can do 100% legally is we talked about recommended funds earlier, you can continue to solicit recommended funds for your child even while you're accepting ESA. Mm -hmm. Now, an STO cannot pay those out, so IBE cannot pay those, but we can accumulate a multi-year recommended fund awards. So then as soon as you're decided, well, I have enough accumulated recommended funds to pay for my tuition, I can now cancel my ESA contract because it wasn't fully covering my tuition and accept any recommended funds that IBE has accumulated, and we can start them now on an STO journey, so a tax credit journey. So a lot of families don't realize they feel it's one or the other, and it is for paying them out. But they are able to accumulate recommended funds through IBE while they're on the Empowerment Scholarship account and 
be able to save those funds for when, let's say their K through eight education is within the $7,000, but their high school's not. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure, again, those low-income families have what they need. The option is to accumulate these recommended funds, have more funding available. School choice is about options and keep your options open. So if you're on ESA, please continue to uh, solicit those recommended funds because you just might need them someday. So I did look at your application at ibescholarships.org. It could be a little bit overwhelming, I I would feel, especially if you're unfamiliar with how the tax credit works. Mm -hmm. So do you have people available to help in that process? I really appreciate that because what I've also found is that customer service is key. Mm -hmm. And when you call IBE, we're going to answer our phone. Everybody who answers the phone knows this program as well as I do. If you're here in Tucson and you'd like to stop by up at Speedway and Swan where we're located, please do. We're available. You have questions, we will do our best to have those answers. So if you've got questions, whether as an applicant, as a donor, as a private school, please get a hold of us. Let us know because we cannot wait, again, to help you on this journey, which can be confusing. I do quite a bit of continuing education for CPAs. Mm. That tells you if they need some continuing education and understanding of this program and some help, all of us do. It is a confusing program to, I would say it's easy to donate. It's easy to receive funds. It's not always easy to fully grasp and understand how it works. And we're there to help with that. I would like to take some time to talk about uh, just from the donor side of IBE. Tell me, just expand upon uh, what it means for like an individual donor versus a corporate donation. Absolutely. So for an individual donor, and right now is the best time, people are really starting to consider doing their 2022 tax credits. First of all, a individual donor has until tax day to make their tax credit donation. So for a 2022 tax credit donation, they have until what's going to be April 18th of 2023. We have a few extra days this year due to a federal holiday. So they have a little bit of extra time. It all depends on what their Arizona state liability is. And to make that as easy as possible, if somebody were to pull out their 2021 tax credit or tax form for 140, their state tax form 140, look at line number 48. That tells you everything you need to know about what you can do as a tax credit for 2021. We're beyond that, but sometimes that helps families say, okay, my income is similar. I would imagine my state tax liability is going to be similar. Or if you really want to make sure you're only giving up to the amount that you can, what your liability is, a lot of families will do their TurboTax or they'll tell their CPA, I'd like to do the maximum tax credits I can. Let me know what that number is. Or look what your liability is and then make a decision. All right, I my liability is $2,500. I'm a married couple filing jointly. For 2022, I can do $2,483 is the maximum. It's about half that for a single filer. Then they can make their donation, go to IBE's website, use their credit card, get their points, their miles, whatever that looks like. They will then be refunded anything the Department of Revenue was holding onto for them that was sent to them through their employer. We all get that withholding, state withholding, federal withholding. So they'll get their refund back, and then all of a sudden they will be able to pay their credit card bills. With a corporate donor, it's a little bit different in that there is no maximum and they just have to wait until that cap is run out, and then they're no longer able to donate. But it's still that same dollar-for-dollar dollar credit. Okay. And so are there any deadlines that people should be aware of, either if they are looking to apply for maybe 2023 school year funding or, uh, yeah? Great. Another great question, because we just recently changed at IBE. There are no deadlines. Okay. There are no deadlines. It is de- basically based on fund availability. And I will say for the 22-23 academic year that we're in right now, Most of our, a lot of funding is definitely 
well, it's depleted in August, September in the beginning. But if a school, a private school, also solicits funds, just like recommend our individual students' families do. So the more funding they have as a school, well, they can make recommendations to us every single month. They want to make sure they're covering new families coming in. Recommended funds, absolutely no do- deadline either as well. So people apply for the 2020, the 22-23 academic year even now. You can apply all the way up through May. So we want to make sure the funding's available. Our application for 23-24 will come out February 1st, right about February 1st. So that way families can apply and they can take advantage of the 22 tax year still. They can take advantage of making sure they've got funding before they ev- their child even goes to school. So we want to make it as easy as possible. Well, is there anything else you would like to add on before we wrap it up today? Just want to make sure that people understand they do have this kind of a choice. It's a huge choice. It's taking control over where your state tax dollars go as a donor. And it's taking control of what school is best for your child as an applicant. So please... Utilize that choice. School choice is a wonderful thing, and IBE has been around long enough. We know what it looks like. We know how to help, and our whole mission is to make sure kids are exactly at the school where they belong. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, before we wrap up today, will you just share again the best way for people to get in contact with you with any questions they have? Our website is ibescholarships.org. Our phone number is 520-512-5438. Or if you'd like to email us, just email us at services at ibescholarships.org. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. That was Kimberly Kirshner, the executive director at the Institute for a Better Education. I'm Mary, and you're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. For the next portion of today's show, I am sharing a conversation I had with the Diaper Bank of Arizona. I am speaking with Shannon Roberts, chief executive officer for the Diaper Bank of Arizona. Wonderful. Yeah. And I remember the last time we spoke, it was recently that you became the Diaper Bank of Arizona from the Diaper Bank of Southern Arizona. Can you tell me a bit about um, that name change uh, and the the area that you serve and work with? Absolutely. So, yeah, the name change came because we now serve the entire state. You know, there was a Diaper Bank of Central Phoenix who was now um, under our leadership as well. So. Um, yeah, so we, we now serve the entire state. So that's how that came about. And um, so far, so good. Things are going well. Wonderful, wonderful. I would like to start by just talking a bit about the Diaper Bank itself, your programs and the services. So will you share with me just a brief history of the Diaper Bank and its core mission? Absolutely. So the Diaper Bank, we are, we will soon be 30 years old. So about two more years, so we're, you know, uh, You're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. 27 years old right now. And what we do is basically we provide diapers, period products, and incontinent supplies for those that, who couldn't otherwise afford them. So, um, you know, if you're running short on cash and um, you need some assistance, you know, that's what we're there for. Um, we're really there to help be a bridge for people who need sometimes a little boost from paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, there is a bit of a, a misconception about uh, like federal or state programs that can offer diapers, you know, like WIC, food stamps, Medicare. People tend to think that's where you can get funding for diapers, but uh, that's not necessarily the case. So can you tell me a bit about who qualifies to receive products through the diaper bank? We really look at low-income families. You know, usually they're 180% below the federal poverty guideline, which, as you know, is not much, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's usually who we focus on. But, you know, if you qualify for WIC, the chances are you're going to qualify for diapers, mm-hmm. food stamps. If, if you're qualifying for those federal programs, 
the likelihood of you qualifying for assistance with diapers is very, very high. Um, but, you know, there, we, we realize that sometimes it's it's not about a long-term form of support that you need from the diaper bank. It may be just, I'm running sh- short this pay period. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't qualify for those programs, still come and see us um, because we do make exceptions and help you out, you know, with a one-time mm-hmm. uh, boost just to help make sure that, you know, you're taking care of business. Yeah. So have you seen a difference in need uh, in recent months or just even within this year because with inflation and costs going high i can imagine people are falling short who have never fallen short before this is very very true you know when the pandemic started our numbers increased you know about 37 percent immediately and we thought that you know as we're starting to normalize and open back up and you know gain control of our lives again that that number would decrease but they have not Mm -hmm. um and and i think a, a lot of that's attributed to you know, the, the, the costs in inflation. Um, we do know that in September of last year, diapers increased by almost 10% Ooh. in costs, right? So, you know, it may not sound like a lot, but if you think about that 10%, how much it compounds year after year, mm-hmm. month after month, it, it does become very expensive for people. So, yeah, our, our numbers have not dropped. They are increasing rather than declining. Um, and, and I think that's a lot of the reason. Yeah, definitely. So there are three main programs, and you kind of briefly touched on that. So I'd like to take a moment to just uh, talk a little bit more about how the diaper bank can help with each of these different programs. So I'd kind of just start with baby diapers. What are the options? So you mentioned you can have short-term or you can qualify for more. Tell me a bit more about that. Sure. Well, when I say short-term, again, it's our program is designed to help people be able to live a life of dignity. Mm-hmm. That's really what it's all about for us. Is dignity because there's nothing dignified about a poopy or soiled diaper, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it's also, like I said, designed to help just bridge the gap. Most cases, people are, are just falling short on one or two pay periods, right? But there are some families that, you know, single mom of five kids yeah. that may need us a little longer. So, you know, people do have the ability to come every month to receive diapers. You know, we, we do give an, uh, an allotment of, I, I believe it's 50, 50 diapers, um, which isn't much, mm-hmm. but it helps, mm-hmm. you know. So if you think about a single mom who's got, you know, three kids and diapers, that's 150 diapers a month. Yeah. So if there is like a single mom who's listening right now, who's like, that could be a huge assistance. How do they um, get in contact or what do they do? Is there an application process? Uh, How do they get your help? Good question. So there's really no application process. What we do is we ask you to come down to 1050 South Plummer, visit us there, or you can go online. Because, again, we work with 40 partner agencies throughout southern Arizona and 27 up in Phoenix. You can call those partner agencies, and and they can qualify you there. Really, you just need a proof of income. You need a birth certificate and just to prove that you are the parent or guardian Mm -hmm. of of the person in need. What would be an example of one of the partner agencies that someone could potentially get in contact with? Child and Family Resources is one that comes to mind. Let's see, there's, there's a... Quite a few faith-based mm-hmm. organizations, Arizona Baptist, Friendship Missionary Baptist Church, um, to name a few. There's there's a lot of different okay. resources out there. You all kind of just work together to get people in touch with the resources and help they need. Absolutely, because our, our belief is if you need help with diapers, I mean, are you falling short on food? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, we partner with places that can provide a food box, some that can provide utility assistance, rental assistance. So, you know, because we don't do that at the diaper bank, our, our business is... Diapers, mm-hmm. period products, and incontinent supplies, right? So, you know, if people are experiencing a hardship, 
there's more resource available at the partner agencies versus at the diaper bank. Okay. So I'd like to move on to uh, incontinence. You mentioned adult incontinence products, and it's, it's not a fun subject, but it definitely makes an impact on your quality of life. And so tell me a bit more about that type of service and program that you offer. Absolutely. So we know that we have more baby boomers that are retiring each day, right? Mm. There is a thing that, that, you know, sometimes you retire, you may not be as prepared for retirement as you mm. thought you were. And we do know that the cost of pull-ups or tabs, that's what we call them, which are the adult diapers, um, they're, they're very expensive. And, you know, there are many people who are retiring that are on fixed incomes, but it's not just the retirees. There are some people out there that may have some type of um, disability mm-hmm. that, that, that are incontinent. So we provide those resources, you know, from bed pads to the pull-up underwear type mm-hmm. type diapers and also the the adult diapers, which we call tabs. Mm-hmm. It's it's just something we make available to those who need it. And is it the same situation with as it is with baby diapers where someone can just come to your facility and uh, ask for help? Absolutely. They're more than welcome to come to our facility. Um, that's what they're for. Monday... Wednesdays and Fridays are our distribution days. So don't come on a Tuesday or Thursday because sometimes we're going to have to have that hard no because that's when we do, you know, our inventory Mm -hmm. and and, and other things to to make sure that we can provide the resources for those who need it. But Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., we do offer distributions. Absolutely. And then the last program is period poverty. And this is an issue that has become much more front and center in years, and especially within this last year because we went through the – I mean, you're still seeing the after effects of the the tampon and pad shortage that was like facing our nation. So tell me a bit about the significance of helping with period poverty and the ways that you help. Well, the ways that we help um, is, you know, we reach out to the community. Mm -hmm. uh, We collect donations. um, And if we don't have enough donations, we've leveraged relationships with manufacturers so that we can get them at a very, very reduced cost. Mm -hmm and passes on to the community. It, it's it's really a big thing for us when we hear that girls and young ladies are missing school because they don't have, you know, mm-hmm. the essential period supplies they need. Um, so we make them available to them, you know. Um, again, it's we, we work with some of the local schools to make sure they have them because, you know, back when I was in school, um, so I've been told from my sister that you could go in the restroom and there were, you know, um, tampon or pad machines in mm-hmm. there. Those things don't exist anymore, oh, right? I didn't even realize that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I remember the box on the wall. But, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, you know, with, with the budget uh, crisis in some of the school districts, the nurses' offices aren't really, you know, available to provide that resource as well. So we we work with schools to make sure that that they're there. Education's key. Yeah. And we want to see uh, administrators in school. Yeah. So um, we make it available however we can. Yeah, yeah. It's unfair to have to miss. Your education for something as simple as not having a pad or a tampon. That's so if you think about what you just said, it, it makes it unfair. Think about a single mom with kids, mm-hmm. you know, who's in need of period products and diapers. Mm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> men, we don't have to deal with the period mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. But, you know, um, so, so it does make it a little disproportionate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's great that you're there to help bridge that gap. 
so um, kind of transitioning here, there's a, a local shop that I really adore, and I was checking out their Instagram. I saw that they last week were donating a percentage of their proceeds to the diaper bank. I've also seen other other organizations hosting diaper drives. Yes. Um, tell me about some of the ways the community can get involved like that to support the diaper bank. Absolutely. We love diaper drives. Um, basically, you know, reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Um, request a diaper drive kit. Um, our wonderful program manage, manager, Leslie Pike, will put you in a really good situation to do a diaper drive. We provide all the resources, the marketing material, oh, boxes, all that good stuff. Um, because that's how we get a lot of our stuff is just by local community donations. Um, you know, and if you don't want to do a diaper drive, we love cash. Mm-hmm. You know, we have purchasing power. So for every diaper we collect, we can reach out and buy. Uh, I'm sorry, not every diaper. Yeah. Pardon me. Every dollar we collect, we can purchase $3 worth of diapers. So, um, you know, we appreciate those businesses that share a portion of their proceeds with us. And that's exactly what it goes to. It doesn't go to operations. It doesn't go to um, salaries. It goes directly for diaper purchases. Well, before we wrap up, will you just state again uh, how people can get in contact with the Diaper Bank, your website, and your phone number? Yes, diaperbank.org or 520-325-1400. Wonderful. Well, Shan and Roberts, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Sharing all that great info. Absolutely. (laughs) That was Shannon Roberts, CEO at the Diaper Bank of Arizona. You've been listening to Lifestyle Tucson, and I am Mary. For more information about our Lifestyle Tucson program or to listen back to something you may have missed, go to the Sunday Mornings page at mixfm.com, kfma.com, klpx.com, or espntucson.com.